Welcome to our latest edition of In Conversation with Ridouts. My name is Jenny Wild. I'm a director here at Ridouts. And you have been sending us topics that you would like us as a legal team to discuss for you, health and social care providers. As you know, we've been discussing many hot topics within the health and social care sector that might be affecting providers and issues that could be having an impact on their business. Today, we are going to discuss safeguarding investigations and how that might be received by a provider and a few tips on how they can handle a safeguarding investigation to limit disruption to their business. So, Paul, let's start with you. What can providers actually expect during a safeguarding investigation? It varies. The first thing is that the vast majority of safeguarding alerts are actually raised by the providers themselves. So it's, and there's a great pressure from the safeguarding team and from CQC that incidents that have happened, concerns that have happened are raised. Now the first thing to be clear about a safeguarding is it doesn't involve any acceptance or even assumption that something has gone wrong or that somebody is to blame. The purpose of safeguarding, the theory of safeguarding, is that organised public sector stakeholders come together to review circumstances and see if any action is required. Sadly, CQC particularly tend to infer from a number of safeguardings that that suggests wrongdoing, that's completely wrong. And so the first thing I would say, Jenny, is that providers don't need to be concerned about safeguarding, it's part of the process. But also they should be careful to think very clearly before they raise a safeguarding alert because many things that are not safeguardings get into the system and then create a false illusion of how much um, problem there might be in the homes. You say to the public there have been 17 safeguarding alerts, the assumption is that people are being badly treated and that's not a correct assumption at all. So you need to be very, very clear. In order to be a safeguarding, there has to be a suggestion that somebody has been or is suspected of being abused and that means that they've been harmed or placed at risk of harm. Ordinary day-to-day -day operational activities, um, errors in staff behaviour or complaints from relatives are not safeguardings necessarily. They might be or they might not be. So think about it carefully and don't just go reporting everything you possibly can. In theory, Safeguarding applies to any interaction with vulnerable people in a care setting. Sadly, safeguarding authorities see this as a one-way traffic of investigating providers, not sometimes themselves, where their own failings or lack of funds may have led to a difficult situation for a particular service user. So what do you expect? You should expect not to be frightened, not for your staff to be um, aggressively attacked, um, but that there will be an external inquiry and you should be ready to answer it. And how, Anna, can providers help that process along? As Paul mentioned, there will be an investigation. What can providers do to limit kind yeah. of risk? And yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, the best thing to do is to request full details of the allegations um, so that you're fully aware of the potential case that's against you. Um, if you're invited to a meeting, request an agenda um, prior to any meeting so that you know what's going to be covered and also so that it ensures that 
you know, the agenda is stuck to in the meeting. Um, something else that can be really helpful is if you bring someone along to the safeguarding meeting with you who's just there for the purpose of taking detailed notes. Um, it's also worth considering legal representation um, because quite often that can change the, the overall sort of um, you know, approach that, that will be taken in the meeting. They're probably the main points. And Anna, I think that providers can sometimes think that taking legal representation to a safeguarding meeting can be quite a bold statement and they might not want to go that far with whoever's investigating the issue. Paul, what would you say to that? I'd approach it on a case-by-case -case basis. It can be seen as defensive. It can be absolutely critical because sometimes the allegations that are being made may lead, it may morph into something much more serious, particularly if somebody has been badly hurt. So um, many, many safeguarding authorities will try to stop lawyers coming. That's because many safeguarding authorities will try to hop, skip and jump over what happened and try to enter into how you put right a perception of wrongdoing. At the beginning of a safeguarding investigation, there is no assumption of wrongdoing, as I said a few moments ago. Therefore, think carefully, talk to your lawyer. Can your staff handle this? Are they ready? Do you want to go yourself? Do you actually want to have a lawyer? Lawyers, in my experience, and I would say this, wouldn't I, actually make the, make the whole proceedings more transparent and honest and they keep people focused. Just as Anna was saying about an agenda and indeed any background papers, keep people down to what it's really about and don't allow it to become into some sort of unmanaged, uncontrolled exchange of views, which might be called a shouting match. Yeah. Um, yeah that's got to be avoided. Um, and safeguarding is, is not, safeguarding does not determine correctness or wrongdoing. Its purpose is to make sure that there are no gaps in the review of circumstances which um, mean that a vulnerable person might go unprotected. That's what safeguarding is all about. Now, it's undeniable that safeguarding investigations can be a huge imposition, albeit a necessary one on occasion. But what other impact can safeguarding investigations have on our clients or other providers of health and social care services? Clearly, there may be responses from CQC. CQC will be invited to and will usually be at the first strategy meeting and certainly at the conclusions meeting. This may trigger CQC to intensify and increase the amount of their inspections. It may increase the external intrusion into the particular home. If the local authority is concerned about what it hears, or even if it's not sometimes, it may cause um, the suggestion of an embargo, um, which means nothing really more than that the local authority has a formal justification for not placing um, extra residents. Funnily enough, they very rarely take anybody out, but actually stopping their own flow of referrals or blocking referrals from neighbouring authorities can be quite can be quite dangerous. The police can sometimes start to investigate and that can at the very very least take a long time um, and there is reputational damage. The, the, some of the more extreme cases will leak out. Sometimes there will be a leak 
maybe a deliberate leak from somebody involved, maybe some of the professionals involved. Sadly, sometimes the aggrieved relatives or maybe even the service users themselves. The press will get hold of this and as we know, the press will then add up what they want to add up and sometimes present a wholly unfair position which ought to be happening behind closed doors. All safeguarding meetings are supposed to be private and what is said is entirely confidential. However, that this is the real world and if somebody leaks it out, as we've had in cases, there's not a great deal that you can do about it, particularly when it's, it's out there. Um, the stable door is not to be shut because the horse has bolted, as they say. Mm -hmm. Indeed. A lot of clients come to us, Paul, asking when they are able to investigate safeguarding allegations made against them. With the involvement of the police, the waters can be a little muddied. What would you advise? Well, the first and clear thing is that the person who is most interested in what has happened, particularly if there are allegations of potential wrongdoing, which may involve staff members, that's the homeowner, the home provider, the manager. They and they are not restricted and cannot be restricted by anyone except for possibly the police. And the reason for that is that it is an offence to obstruct or interfere with the police in the course of an inquiry. But be cautious here. Um, not Very, very few of these events will actually lead to a serious police inquiry. Um, the police can be asked any reason why we shouldn't investigate. And if the police say, yes, we don't want you to investigate because you may infect the quality of the evidence trail, then that's obviously relatively short term, so keep them under pressure. But if somebody from local authority safeguarding or um, an inspector or someone says, you are now not allowed to investigate all of this, I'm afraid that's total bunkum. And in fact, I would also say when these events occur, if you, if you are concerned, get investigating very quickly. Get investigating before anyone tells you you can't. Get investigating before the police come. In the most serious of cases, if someone's died, for example, then probably the police may be among the first, in which case it may be difficult to get ahead. But I have had cases where the police have come in five or six days later and an opportunity has been missed. And a consequence of that, and we spoke about consequences a moment ago, but if there is then pressure to suspend staff, then there will be an issue about the terms of that suspension and the real damaging cost to providers of having to pay staff their full salaries and benefits and recruit in probably expensive agency staff to cover for something that may go on for a really considerable period of time and a lot of homeowners tell me that their accounts contain extraordinary items where, um, by extraordinary I mean technically extraordinary, not regular and routine, where there have been double, double employment costs caused by people. And the, the sooner you know the facts, the sooner you can take action, either to bring people back to work or to move them out of suspension and into dismissal which is the safe way out, remembering that in dismissal, that's only got to be within a reasonable range of alternatives for what you find yourself with. You don't have to be absolutely clear on everything. And as an owner, you want to be in the best position at the earliest possible moment to take effective management and not to get stuck with these long-running 
events and nobody has the right to tell you to suspend or sack your staff. Um, you need to approach that position very carefully. Thank you both. I think the message here is to encourage transparency from the investigating authority and to really seek information, I guess, as, as quickly as possible and a proactive approach is the best approach. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. So that's our view on safeguarding. If you have any suggestions for any other topics that you would like us to discuss, please do drop us a line. Thank you for joining us.